to welcome not just the people here that I can see, but our campus in Overland Park and our online community. We are very happy to be worshiping as uh, one body dispersed in, in several locations, but together under the word this morning. So thank you all for joining us. So I am Nathan, and uh, here's, here's a piece of good news. Uh, this is the last week before Jim returns. So next week, you will be uh, with Jim again. Uh, but the piece of sad news is um, I will not be able to take us into Philemon chapter 2. So we're just going to hold here at Philemon 1, which is good because that would be extra biblical. If you would please, let's stand for the reading of our scripture this morning. We're going to be reading Philemon 1, 1, verses 7 through 12, and then 17 through 20. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit who is amongst us, who is right now, Father, glorifying your Son, glorifying you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that your spirit would be unhindered this morning as it works the word of this timeless message into our hearts and our minds and our actions. Father, constrain me by your spirit that I would preach the word that you have for your people today, that I would preach it clearly, that I would preach it truthfully, that I would preach it powerfully, and that you be glorified in its fruit. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so the book of Philemon is this personal letter written by Paul to a person named Philemon about Onesimus, who has uh, been a wrongdoer. And Philemon is being asked to reconcile with Onesimus. So the letter is a, is a personal letter, and as we have seen over the last uh, few weeks, it is about one conflict with three different parts. So there is the part of Onesimus. He is the person who has gotten in trouble. He is the peace seeker. And then there is the story of Philemon. He is the one who has been wronged. He is the one who must forgive. He is the peace giver. And then finally, there is the story of Paul, who is the friend of both. 
And he is the one who is working as the peacemaker. So today we've, we've looked at Onesimus, we've looked at Philemon, today we are going to look at the work of making peace through the story of Paul. As we've looked at the book of Philemon, we've used this image of a three-locked door, uh, which is, I think, on the screen here soon, a three-locked door where uh, you see the, the, the chain, and you see the bar, you see the lock, and you can see that little window that there's something beautiful on the other side of it, but for some reason we're living behind these three locks. And I've been making the case that the Ministry of Reconciliation unlocks this door as we unlock the door of unrepentance through peace-seeking, as we unlock the door of unforgiveness through peace-giving, and then today we're going to see that we unlock the last lock through peacemaking. What is the lock that keeps us from making peace? I believe it is the lock of unbelief. Now when I say unbelief, I do not mean to say that I think that you are all uh, a, a mess of unbelievers that don't uh, have any relationship with God. That is not what I mean by unbelief. What I am talking about as unbelief being the lock on this door is that there is in all of us belief that we have in our heart that we do not act out in our life. There is belief that we live in that we don't live out. And the lock of unbelief is the lock of removing that gap between what we live in about the reconciliation of Christ to how we live out the reconciliation of Christ. See, we are all tempted to live private, quiet, passive lives that avoid conflict. But the reconciliation of Christ is a message of an invasion into a world of opposition to make peace. And so as we believe that message that saved us and ask how do we live that message out, we cannot choose that passivity. We cannot always choose that quietness. We must learn how to believe in the work of peacemaking. Do you have faith in peacemaking? So as I was doing some research for this message, I got on Google Images and typed in peacemaker. And these are the three first most popular images that came up with the term peacemaker. The first is an HBO series starring John Cena called The Peacemaker. It is a violent, high body count uh, series, uh, superhero series on television. Then the next message, uh, picture that came up was the Colt Peacemaker pistol. And then not far behind that was the classic Western peacemaker himself, Wyatt Earp. <laughs> These are the three images that were most popular with the term peacemaker. What does that tell us about the way the world sees peacemaking? It tells us that peacemaking is seen as something you exert by force, you take by violence. It tells me that the world is very unfamiliar with true peace, the gospel peace. 
The world needs a different kind of peace. The world needs the kind of peace that Jesus spoke of us to give when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Are we living out these words? I'm a bit convicted that the first image for peacemaker wasn't the church. Are we living out these words? Why don't we? Well, we're not born yesterday. Conflicts are messy. Conflicts are hurtful. And we don't want to get involved in any more than we have to. We like to avoid conflicts. And I could imagine that there was at least a moment in Paul's mind where he thought, boy, it would be best if this conflict didn't land on my door. Let's consider Paul's situation. He is in a prison in Rome on trial for his life on the charges that the gospel he preaches is a disturbance of the peace. It is a problem in the state, and he would be best put to death. He has now got a runaway slave who is in front of him, and there is a clear Roman law that any time you have a, uh, a slave that has run away, you are obligated by law to return that to their master. So he has a Roman law that says he needs to return Onesimus or he will be guilty. But then also, he, as a, a man of God, he knows the, the, the scriptures, and he knows Deuteronomy 23.15, which says, You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. So God's word says, don't return Onesimus. Then there's the issue that he's friends with Philemon. The way he handles the situation with Onesimus could betray his friendship with Philemon. But he's also friends to Onesimus. He calls Onesimus his spiritual son. And so if he betrays Onesimus in giving him back to Philemon, he loses that relationship. Is this a sticky situation? If he, if he uh, sends Onesimus back, he's a guilty and he's a bad friend. If he hides Onesimus, he's guilty and he's a bad friend. Now the obvious solution would be tell Onesimus to keep on walking. This is not something that I can deal with. This is a bad time. Would you get involved in such a sticky situation? Now we can think about this according to self-preservation. What's best for me? But that's not how Paul thinks about this situation. Because he thinks of the question, what happens if I don't work for reconciliation? What happens? Onesimus probably dies. Onesimus and Philemon never reconcile. They're enemies for life. And he, as a preacher of the gospel of peace, shows that he doesn't have confidence that peace can be accomplished between these two enemies. He loses his credibility. 
So he recognizes that working for peace is not just an option. It is something he must do. Paul believes Jesus' words. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. He knows he is a son of God. Therefore, he must be a peacemaker. You see, Paul's story shows us that we have the opportunity to image the gospel and to bring healing to others when we seek to be peacemakers in this world. So my question for you, where could you be a peacemaker? Are there conflicts in your family? Are there conflicts among your coworkers? Are there conflicts between your friends? Could you be a peacemaker there? The world needs our peacemaking. So how do we get ourselves into the field of peacemaking? How do we release ourselves as peacemakers? We need to adopt or, or believe in these three different beliefs to release us into peacemaking. And the, the, to overview these, we need to believe in the sovereignty of God to be a peacemaker. We need to believe in the unity of the Spirit to be a peacemaker. And we need to believe in the atonement of Christ to be a peacemaker. When these uh, beliefs are no longer just believed in our heart, but lived out as a belief in our actions, we will be peacemakers. Let us look at the first one. A peacemaker is released by believing in the sovereignty of God. Paul views his life and ministry as completely governed by God's sovereignty. He calls himself a prisoner of Caesar, a prisoner of Rome. No, he calls himself four times in this letter as a prisoner of Christ. You see, he recognizes that his placement as a prisoner, however it came about according to human actions and, and human choices, he is there for Christ. He is there because of Christ. And him being a prisoner is an opportunity that Christ has given him to speak to Caesar the gospel. He sees his being in prison under the sovereignty of God. This passed through God's hand. It will serve God's purpose. We see him convinced of the sovereignty of God as he considers the situation with Onesimus. What, what does he say in verse 15? He says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Paul is, is looking at this situation. Onesimus, who came from Colossae in Turkey, has somehow ended up in front of him in Rome. There are 1,500 miles of land and sea between Colossae and Rome. And for a fugitive slave to make that journey requires many dangerous days where he should have been caught over and over again. And yet somehow, Paul finds that Onesimus is in front of him, an Onesimus whose master he knows. He does not look at this as a coincidence. He sees this as the providence of God, and therefore recognizes he needs to fulfill the role of peacemaking. You see, the belief in the sovereignty of God, there's no accidents, there's no coincidences, there's no wasted moments. He sees all of his meetings, he sees his circumstances through God's plan to bring reconciliation through Christ. 
How do I know that? Because he wrote these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So Paul looks at this situation through the lens of the ministry of reconciliation. And what does he do with Onesimus? He evangelizes him. He gives Onesimus the gospel. And I think here we learn the principle from Paul. You become a peacemaker the more that you believe your days have been arranged for you to share the gospel. You become a peacemaker the more you believe your days have been arranged by God for you to share the gospel. Is that how we view our days? If you're like me, most of your days don't get off the launch pad of evangelism because of a lot of excuses that we don't call excuses. They're just interferences. They're things that get in the way. We live with a, if the, if the situation is right, uh, then maybe I can, but those situations are hardly ever just right. You see, Paul's belief in, in the sovereignty of God becomes greater than his excuses. L look at verse 9. He, he says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Paul, you've got great excuses here. <laughs> you're, you're old. This is, this is a young man's game. Leave this to, to somebody else. You've done enough. You've fulfilled your ministry. We're going to read your books for ages. You can take this opportunity off. Look the other way. You're a prisoner. You're not free. You've got other things that need to be a priority. You, you need to figure out your, your trial, your case. You, you, you don't need to be uh, bothered with this. You have to get your stuff done. You see, those excuses don't rise to the level for Paul because he recognizes the sovereignty of God in this encounter. As our belief in this understanding increases, our excuses decrease. So I, several years ago, um, was uh, getting my hair cut. And as you can probably tell, I take great pride in my hair. <laughs> so I was uh, there at the Great Cliffs. And uh, getting the usual. Getting my hair cut, and there was this... Uh, conversation with the person cutting my hair, barber hairstylist, I don't know the word anymore, uh, and there was this moment where the conversation seemed to be open to talking about the gospel. But she's holding scissors <laughs> and a clipper over my head, and I seriously processed the question, can I afford this hair being messed up? And I, and I questioned whether I should, but by God's prompting, I shared the gospel. And, and this doesn't happen to me a lot, but this 
woman gave her life to Jesus right there. My hair turned out okay. But here's the thing. Nine times out of ten, I could have taken the excuse, this is a bad time, this is awkward, and not shared the gospel. And if I gave in to that, instead of believing that God's sovereignty has put this moment in front of me, I would be missing a sister in Christ. Right? Our belief in the sovereignty of God must be more confident than we are in our excuses. Believing in the sovereignty of God is to see your circumstances and your relationships through that word in verse 15, perhaps. Paul doesn't know what's going to happen, but he says, perhaps this has happened so that you will have him back forever. Perhaps, colonial, the lost person that you know is not there by accident. Perhaps the relationships that you know that are in conflict, that you are in the midst of, are not in your midst by accident. Perhaps these lostness, lost people and these conflicts are around you as divine appointments. And so prayerfully ask, Lord, am I to be a peacemaker here? Listen, there is a great thrill in going into the world under the sovereignty of God and fulfilling the ministry of a peacemaker. We got dropped like a tornado into Lee Summit. We weren't there by our will or our plan, but we have been living in Lee Summit for the last two years and have been praying to know these neighbors and to have opportunities to, to get to know them spiritually. And God has been answering that prayer. We have a, a group of about 20 people that are meeting in a small group to talk about spiritual things, to talk about how they have been created. You see, the sovereignty of God had a plan. He put me in a place that is fertile and, 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 and ready to be harvested. And I am so excited that Colonial is taking the faith of going forward into Lee Summit to plant a church to accomplish the eternal ministry of peacemaking. There is nothing more thrilling that we could be doing. Amen? Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. Say this with me. For they shall be called sons of God. So number two, a peacemaker is released by believing in the unity of the Spirit. Now before I lived in Lee Summit, I spent a little time in Louisiana. And Louisiana has, a, has some people down there that are uh, very independent, very isolationist, very alone, kind of crusty and curmudgeonly. Uh, some of them just live in the swamp, you know, like swamp people. And, and uh, it, nobody bothers them, and they do what they want to do. So there's this uh, story of a particular guy who was living deep in the swamp who went to work building a town just for himself. He built a bank, he built a store, he built a school. And so a reporter came out and wanted just to see what this guy had done in the middle of the swamp all by himself, all alone. And he saw all of these buildings. And then he comes across this last building, which is a beautiful building and had a cross on it. And the guy says, this is my church. This is where I worship. Oh, what a beautiful thing. The guy's communing with the Lord in the middle of the swamp. And then the guy looks, the uh, reporter looks, and he sees there's a second building right next to this one that also has a cross on it. And he says, well, now, what's that building? 
And this man who was living all alone in the swamp says, oh, that's the church I used to go to. What, what's, what's the story there? We, we, even all by ourselves, can be divisive, argumentative, irreconcilable rascals. Right? The world is, is built with selfish people. And selfish people divide and quarrel and complain and separate. So how in the world is Paul going to bring reconciliation between one person who's high society and one person who doesn't even rank in society? How is he going to bring these two people to have peace, to have a relationship? There's no affinity between these two. In fact, there's bad blood. Paul does not rest his case on the goodness of man to live at peace. He builds his case on the power of the Spirit that dwells within them. How do we see this? It's in all of these family terms. What does he call Onesimus? He says he's a son. What does he call Philemon? He says he's a brother. Who is God? He's the Father. You see, the church as the family of God is what grounds his argument. In verse 16, he says, Receive him back no longer as a slave, but as he is a brother. Now, these family terms are not metaphors. They're not just churchy terms that, that Paul likes to use uh, to cast a vision for, Oh, wouldn't it be all nice if we, if we were one big family? These terms are grounded in his faith of their spiritual regeneration. You see, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul tells us this, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are brother and sister because you share the same spirit of God. That is the family resemblance that brings out of our hearts the worship and the fellowship. And so Paul is anchoring everything he says in this knowledge that they share the spirit of peace. And so Paul reveals to us this. We become peacemakers as we see each other as the spirit has made us. Family. family. Now here's the thing. In a healthy family, the fact that you are family is a force stronger than most conflicts. Family forces us to resolve our conflicts. As a good dad, I don't allow my kids to just continue to fight each other. They have to make it up. Now, the family of God is more powerful, more healthy than any family. And the force of peace in the family of God is the eternal peace of the Spirit. You will be in heaven as best friends, as brothers and sisters. Therefore, the Spirit in you says, work to be at peace with one another now. 
So we become peacemakers as we see each other, as the Spirit has made us family. This is the bond that that holds us together, that forces us to reconcile, because we cannot live divided. The Spirit in us will not allow it. Ephesians 4.3, Paul describes this bond. He says, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And you can see this bond uh, underlying Paul's argument. In verse 7, he praises Philemon. He says, the, the hearts of all the saints have been refreshed by you. What is he saying? He said, your love for the family of God is renowned. You have loved all of God's people. You have loved it with the the supernatural love of the Spirit. You are bearing much spiritual fruit, and I celebrate it. And then in verse 12, he says, Now here's something to tell you. Onesimus, he's my very heart. He's my child. And I'm sending him back to you. So then, in verse 20, at the very end of his argument, he says, Philemon, refresh my heart in Christ. He is saying, I want you to take all the love that the Spirit has produced for you, from you to the family of God, to this newest member of the family, your previous offender and enemy, the one who is my heart, Onesimus. And that happens because of the bond of peace that the Spirit accomplishes. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. If we walk by the Spirit, we are going to be walking on paths towards peace. Amen? We need to rely on the Spirit in making peace. And this is where the belief question comes. Do you believe that the Spirit can change hearts, that the Spirit can make new your situation of conflict? Do you believe it has that power? He has that power. I think a lot of us functionally give up on it. We, we believe that the forces of selfishness in the world are greater. And so we leave or we quit. But I was reading Corey Tenboom's book, The Hiding Place, which tells of her experience uh, during the Nazi years and her experience in a concentration camp. And there was a passage in there that particularly struck me as I was thinking about this message. I have an image of, of the concentration camp that all these women were living in. This is the barracks. They are crammed in And as you can imagine, living in this barracks was a terrible place to live. And you can imagine the the, the forces of selfishness and anger and exhaustion to be quite strong. In fact, uh, Corey Reed uh, says this, Barracks 28 had been designed to hold 400. There were now 1,400 quartered here with more arriving weekly. There were nine of us sharing our particular square designed for four. The least movement on the upper platforms sent a shower of dust and straw over the sleepers below, followed by a volley of curses. There was not even a common language, and among exhausted, ill-fed people, quarrels erupted constantly. 
There was one raging now as the women sleeping nearest the windows slammed them shut against the cold. At once, scores of voices were starting all up and down that side of the room. We heard scuffling, slaps, and sobs. Can you imagine a more hellish, peaceless place than this concentration camp? It is an absolute disaster. A miserable place. But then, Corey continues. In the dark, I felt Betsy's hand clasp mine. Lord Jesus, she said aloud, send your peace into this room. There has been too little praying here. The very walls know it. But where you come, Lord, the spirit of strife cannot coexist. The change was gradual, but distinct. One by one, the angry sounds let up. I'll make a deal, the voice spoke German with a strong Scandinavian accent. You can sleep in here where it's warmer, and I'll take your place by the window. <laughs> and add your lice to my own? But there was a chuckle in the answer. A ripple of laughter widened around the room at this. If the Spirit can bring peace into a concentration camp, can it bring peace into your life and your relationships? If the Spirit can bring peace in a concentration camp, it can bring peace anywhere. Do you believe in the unity of the Spirit? Do you believe that the Spirit can change hearts? Then pray that the Spirit make you a peacemaker. Because as Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, say it with me, for they shall be called sons of God. Third, a peacemaker is released by believing in the atonement of Christ. Now we come to my favorite part of this whole letter. My favorite passage, my favorite few verses are verses 17 through 19. Let me read them again. Paul writes, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. How does Paul actually make peace between Onesimus and Philemon? This passage shows that he makes three moves. The first that he does is that he identifies with both as equals. To the slave Onesimus, he says, I'm a prisoner. To the authority Philemon, he says, I'm an apostle. I'm a fellow worker. So Paul is able to draw close in real relationship to both Philemon and to Onesimus. And then the second thing he does is he says to Philemon, I want you to receive Onesimus as if you were receiving me. I want all of your friendship, all of your love, all of your good tidings and feelings that you have towards me, the Apostle Paul. I want you to see Onesimus that way. And then he says, I want you to take what Onesimus stole from you and charge that to my account. I will repay 
what he did to you. That's a very clever plan to work peace. I mean, I guess Paul's just really smart. Where did he come up with this idea? He is living out the atonement of Christ. Paul is reflecting Christ. You see, Christ brought God and man together as the God-man. He is fully God and fully man. And in Him alone are God and man able to meet. In Christ, God is able to receive us as a beloved son. Christ says, my children, you will receive as you receive me. We are loved with the affection of Christ. God receives us as he receives his beloved son because Christ shares his relationship with the Father, with us. And then all that has separated us from a holy God, all the sin, all the shame, Christ took upon himself and paid the penalty in full by dying on the cross. It is through Christ that we are able, who are separated from God, to be brought to oneness, to be at one with God. Christ is our atonement. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, For your sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ we are reconciled to God. We are received as beloved as Christ, and we are as forgiven as the cross of Christ. This is the atonement. Beloved, have you received this atonement? Have you stopped trying to make yourself look right before a holy God and accept that your sin separates you? Christ is the atonement. Believe in Him and all that you can never do to make yourself right with God is done. Believe in Him and know the reconciliation of Christ. And as we know that reconciliation, as we know that atonement, how can we be anything less than peacemakers in this world? What does it mean to believe in the atonement of Christ? You become a peacemaker as you believe that Christ's atonement is the answer for any conflict. Paul doesn't just see the atonement of Christ as his solution to sin. He sees it as Philemon and Onesimus' solution. If we do this, it means that we take Christ to our conflicts. Like Christ, we lay down our lives for peace. Like Christ, we let go of our rights for peace. We let go of our comforts for peace. We bear costs that aren't ours for peace. We love our enemies for peace. We give our lives to reconciliation because we have been given our life through reconciliation. At the end of The Hiding Place, Corrie Ten Boom shares her, her life after she left the concentration camp. And, and predictably, she was a spiteful, angry, vengeful woman, right? 
No. We would predict, we would expect that the concentration camp would have made her hard and bitter and mean-spirited. But that is not what controlled her life. She believed in the atonement of Christ. And she gave her years after she was in that concentration camp to a house for people who were in concentration camps to come and receive the healing and receive the peace of the gospel day in and day out until their hardened hearts were melted. And she watched these people forgive the Nazi torturers, forgive their country's betrayers. She gave her life to peacemaking. Because she knew the power of peace that was made in her through Christ. Beloved, do you believe in the atonement of Christ? We will be released as peacemakers when we believe in the sovereignty of God, when we believe in the unity of the Spirit, and we believe in the atonement of Christ. Can I bring that door up one more time from the very beginning? I want to look at the door one last time. This door is what stands in front of us when we are in a state of unreconciliation. And what we discovered through this series is that the gospel gives us all that we need to open this door. The gospel gives us what we need to repent and seek peace. The gospel gives what we need to uh, forgive. And the gospel gives us all that we need to make peace. This door has no locks on it, Christian. So what's on the other side of the door? Friends, there is joy. There is the joy of experiencing the power of the gospel set free in your life, in your world. Look at verse 10. What happens when uh, Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus? He says, I became a father. Do you know the joy of spiritual birth? There is nothing like the joy of seeing someone turn to Christ. That is the joy of the peacemaker. Then look at verse 10 or verse 20. Refresh my heart in Christ. Have you seen the joyous power of the Spirit working peace? The Spirit at work in your midst. There's no joy like that. That's the joy of the peacemaker. And then look at verse 22. Confident of all of this, Paul says, prepare a place for me. Paul is looking forward to the joy of reunion. The peacemaker gets to enjoy reunions with those who he thought were lost. New fellowship, new communion. The joy of reunion is the joy of the peacemaker. Through this door is the joy of Christ. Beloved, the door is open. Christ has opened the door. Will you go through it? Where is God calling you to be a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you are the God of peace. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who has created the peace that we could never find between your holiness and ourselves. And Father, we thank you for your spirit which dwells within us, speaking love, joy, and peace, that we are eternally yours and that we are set free to the ministry of reconciliation. Father, give us the courage, give us the belief to be peacemakers and be glorified in the peace you make through us. In Christ we pray, amen.